Hello, everybody. How are you? Hoping everything is going well with you guys. We're setting up our uh, our live here on uh, on all three platforms. So bear with me for one minute. I'm just going to uh, sort it out over there as well <clears throat> on Facebook and on Zoom. So hopefully we'll get a chance to start everybody off together. Um, Okay, nice to see you all, and if you can, uh, share uh, what we're doing here. That would be also amazing. We'd love, we'd love to get more and more people involved, so if you share uh, the class on the story, or as well, if you'd like to just hit some of those likes so that uh, Instagram knows that people are appreciating it, that would be wonderful. Um, just having a... doesn't look like that one's working. Okay, so I guess we're just going to have to use this one here. Okay. Facebook. And let's go. Thank you so much. Just keep doing them until, until it spreads. We're going to be starting in just one minute. A bit of a doozy for today, hopefully. Uh, that should be, should be good fun. Okay, where are we? I think we should be we should be good if there's anyone tuning in as well from from Facebook that would be very helpful um, just gonna add a title there as well okay um, I think we are good to go let's get started on uh, on our zoom call and then we can uh, then we can kind of get moving. Alrighty. Thank you so much for your patience. You guys are unbelievable. I really appreciate it. Okay, participants. Co-host. Okay. And we are live and ready to go. Um, I'm going to be joining the Safra call as well on Zoom, so everyone should be able to see us now on all the different, uh, all the different backgrounds and all the different uh, sites. Uh, let me know as well if you can hear us on uh, on Instagram. So uh, send me up some waves and some, uh, yeah. Can you send us some waves and some likes from on Instagram so we know that you guys are are here with us? And let's get ready to rumble. Today's class is dedicated Li'ilui Nishmat Ephraim Meir Ben Yechiel Mordechai Halevi and for the Rifuah Shlema of Rose Razel Bat Chava Rachel Bat Sophie Shafir Yaakov Ben Chaviva Yitzchak <clears throat> Yitzchak Ben uh, Lucy Ezra Ben Senyar and Chaya Batya Bat Levana by Jamie Sutton. Hazaku Baruch, thank you so much for your uh, for your uh, um, uh, sponsorships. We we are definitely we're finding them to be incredibly useful and helpful and uh, during this time. And as well, I'd also like to say a tremendous uh, a tremendous thank you to uh, to everybody uh, who has also helped us out with the um, the uh, recording materials. 
Hopefully this should get better and better. We have, I would say, about a third of the money raised for uh, to be able to do the, the broadcast in the best possible way. If anyone wants a part in that unbelievable mitzvah, um, it's a wonderful, wonderful mitzvah, and it also allows everybody engaged to really kind of benefit from this. And all of the classes will then be a, a part and part and parcel of your zechut. Tomorrow night at 8 p.m., we will be doing an unbelievable Lagwa Omer celebration, a journey through history, which will allow us, Be'ezrat Hashem, to visit all of the great tzaddikim and tzedkaniyot for the Hilula. We're going to be lighting the candles to, uh, in their memory and in their zechut to signify the light that they shared, each and every one of them, through their wondrous deeds, their fantastic uh, uh, midot and uh, customs. Uh, so we're going to be doing that as well with si- with singing from our Hazan Shmuel Levi with an opportunity as well to buy uh, the candles and to memorialize these great tzaddikim. It can be done, Le'ilui Nishmat or Refuah Thank you so, so, so much for everything that you've done for us thus far and uh, we appreciate it all. Okay, if you give me one second more, we'll just uh, do this last bit and then we should be gold. Okay, uh, here we are, ready to go. Okay, so we are learning an unbelievable book. We're learning a book together. Uh, actually, it's a part of a book, a book that was written by the Alter from Navardak. It was uh, an insightful book that was written, penetrating the depth of the human condition, of the human psyche. It allows each and every one of us, through the process of being honest with ourselves, to learn and to, and to process a pathway forward for growth, okay? And the uh, the book that was written on it called um, Mind Over Man, it is a magnificent book, uh, and we're kind of going through it, hopefully piece by piece, to try and understand what this thing is, this power of the mind, and how the power of the mind, when it's used in the proper way, allows for a person to be in a uh, unbelievable position, to constantly better themselves, make themselves stronger, make themselves uh, uh, more efficient. Okay, so let's begin. Everybody knows of a very interesting story. And in the story, there seems to be like a villain and a hero. The hero seems to be, to most of us, if we think about it, the hero seems to be Shammai, the Hillel, and the villain seems to be Shammai. I mean, it's a very, very difficult thing, that. To think about someone like uh, like Shammai as a villain is a it's a it's a pro, it's a problem. You understand what I'm saying? And and yet and yet such such is the case. Uh, if you ask anybody about the story, you think, "Wow, what a nice guy Hillel was," and then you think about what a rotten person Hasvi Shalom Shammai was. So let's dive in together to the story and see if we can kind of work it out a little bit together. <clears throat> The Gemara tells us there was once a convert that came to Shammai. And Shammai asked him, he said, could you tell me, um, I would like to learn a little bit about the Jewish people, but I only want to convert if you are capable of telling me and explaining to me clearly, absolutely clearly, what it is that I need to do while I'm standing on one leg. Okay, so what does Shammai do? Shammai tells the guy, listen, Mechila, I'm really sorry. You know, but if you think that, that, that this is something that you could do on one leg, I, you have another thing coming. 
as a as a people, you know, and as as scholars, they they could spend their whole life working on the Torah. And you want to understand it, and while you stand, while you have the strength to stand on one leg, are you out of your mind? And yet, and yet, what happened? It's what we are told that Hillel uh, experiences. The same guy comes to Hillel, and Hillel's answer is slightly different. What does Hillel say? Hillel says, "Oh, sure, yeah, fadal, of course. Come on in, welcome. Let me teach you everything that there is to know, right?" And and, and what does he tell him? He tells him. That which you hate, don't do to anybody else. Now, we classically translate that line uh, as Hillel was effectively saying, love your neighbor like yourself. That's everything. Everything else, pirusha, is an explanation. Go out and learn, go out and study, and you'll be able to understand and benefit from, uh, from everything. So, Hillel is the hero. Look, he said, welcome. He said, come on in. He said, What does Shammai say? He pushes him with the ama, the stick, the measuring stick of the building. So the question is, what was Shammai trying to say? And why did Shammai happen to have the amata binyan in his hand? We've discussed this idea many times, but always from a different angle. And today also, I want to share with you what the altar used to teach about this idea. What he said is, the learning of Torah is incredibly difficult. It's incredibly nuanced. It's, uh, it's so insightful and so deep and so powerful. So it takes and requires a system within which it can be studied. So as an example, if you want to build uh, a treehouse, you could take a couple pieces of wood, you know, lean them against each other. I remember one time I was uh, out with cousins. It was the middle of the day and it was Sukkot. I wanted to eat something, but we didn't have a Sukkah. So what did I do? In two seconds, I made my own sukkah. I leaned up some boards against the wall, against another wall. I got some branches from the path. I put them on the top. Two seconds later, I had myself a sukkah, presto. No problem. You know why? Because I was going to sit in it for a week, for a few minutes. You want to sit in a sukkah for a week? It needs to be uh, a little bit better put together. Wind can't blow it down, right? It can't be something that's going to collapse. You want to live in a house for a year where you think you're going to lean boards against something, make a second floor in a basement without having a foundation? The Torah penetrates every part of the human being. It guides and it gives wisdom to leaders of nations, to rabbis, to uh, engineers, to doctors, to lawyers. Everybody has something to take from Torah. So you think you could do that without a foundation? Shammai said... Go try and build a house without measuring how wide the walls have to be, how deep the foundation has to be. You want to stand here on one leg and learn all the Torah? doesn't work. He pushed him away. Not he hit him with a stick. Rather, he dismissed his request using an example of the Amata Binyan, the measuring stick of the home, which allows someone to understand that there's complexity here. There's depth here. There's inner work that needs to take place. So, the challenge, therefore, is if someone wants to understand the power of Torah and how it can transform their life, bring them up, make them into someone who is uh, almost impenetrable by the worst situations, they don't lose their nerve, they're capable of being the better man or the better woman in every situation. How does someone achieve that? How do they get it? The answer is, they build their Torah on top of the foundation. So, I want to talk with you a little bit about what the Alta teaches, and in Mind Over Man, Rabbi Per explains 
how that process happens, how you build the foundations, which therefore allow for the Torah to settle in you. One of the great mistakes that people make is that they think that Torah is something that you could just sit in a class, you hear the class, presto, I got it. You know, I have an anger issue, what do I do? I go to anger management classes. Sorry, that's not how it works. That's kind of like saying, I want to build a house. Let me go to house building classes. How about if you go to house building classes for a year? Do you have a house? No, you have zero. What happens if you go for 20 years? You have zero. Some people I know are avid class goers. They go to classes their whole life. Michila, you're going to a class about building a house. Your work begins when the class ends. The class might inspire you. It might give you instructions. It might give you direction. But now the, cho- the choice is actually yours. And I always say, if you could give me a choice, someone who went to less classes, but then heeded those words, worked on themselves and developed themselves, or you could give me someone who went to a trillion classes. Actually, I'd rather the guy who goes to less classes. Because we, the rabbis, the Gemara, the Torah, we're not speaking for our health. We're not speaking because we like to speak. We're speaking because the Torah contains amazing truths about building human beings. So if you never stop from the learning to build, to do, to change, to grow, what are we doing? What are we doing? In fact, I think in, uh, especially in times like this, in coronavirus, people are sitting at home and they're telling me, Rabbi, I'm learning six hours a day, 12 hours a day, 17 hours a day. Rabbi, I don't stop learning. Forget it. I don't even sleep no more. I have toothpicks in my eyes. I have my phone with me in my bed. I have Rabbi Mansour. And then after Rabbi Mansour, I have a rabbi here. I even have rabbis I found in every time zone on earth so that I could be constantly listening to classes. Hazaku Baruch. And that's a great thing. But sometimes the second class comes at expense of working on the first. You hear that? Okay. Now. So I want to talk about this foundation, Amat HaBinyan. See, one of the things which is important to understand, just kind of from a mental perspective, okay? I want, I want all of you to hear me on this. Just a mental perspective. And um, I don't know if any of you are into working out, okay? But if any of you have ever gone to the gym or you work out or you go to exercise class, sometimes a, a trainer will tell you, they'll tell you, when you lift the, what's it called? When you lift the thing, so pretend like actually you're pulling something. And has anyone ever done that? I remember once I was going to one of these classes, I hurt my back, I was trying to, you know, so the guy said, okay, listen, what we're gonna do. I want you to reach out, yeah? And I want you to take your arm and reach straight behind you, okay, he goes. And then he goes and reach back. But don't just go like this, like you're clapping like a weird person, okay? Instead, as you're pulling it back, imagine that there's a weight on your arm and you're pulling it back. Now, I need you to hear this. Just imagining that, just the mental image of what I was doing being slightly different actually changed the stretch itself. So I want to give you a mental image. Many of us are studying a lot of Torah and we're growing and we're reading lots of things. But it's important that the Torah does not go on you, but that it goes in you. You know, you ever try to feed a baby the example he gives is remarkable. You ever, you ever try to feed a baby? Baby says, no, nope, no, nope, mine. He grabs, he grabs the spoon uh, out of your hand 
and he starts digging it into the baby formula, and he's like flinging it on his face, on his pants, on his shirt. He's just chucking it everywhere, right? It's crazy. It's like nonstop. But there's nothing that's actually going in his mouth. There's maybe like a little bit that kind of half is in his nose, in his ear, he's got it in his hair, on his pants, on his shirt. But you know what? But in his mouth, it didn't go. The challenge sometimes is recognizing that we say in the Shema, Place these words on your heart, on your heart, inside of the body. Now, even on the heart, says the Vilnaga on, because sometimes our hearts are not open. So I got it past the mouth, and I got it into my system. But you know what? It didn't hit the deepest part of me. So still, it's better than nothing, because you know what happens? If it sits on your heart, then your heart opens. Then you have a tragedy or you have a, a moment of inspiration. Your heart opens for a second. Everything falls in. That's the Vilna Gaon's explanation. Okay? So same thing is true here. We could go and it could be all over us, but it has to penetrate. It has to get inside. So where is the Torah? Is it on you or is it in you? <clears throat> so that was what Shammai said. We have to make a plan now. A plan that when I go to a class, I'm going to take something I'm going to pull it aside, pull it apart, figure out how it fits me, try it on for size, okay? See which part really resonates, and then double down on that one, two things. However many it is that you feel you could, uh, uh, you know, move forward with powerfully in a real, uh, authentic, and genuine way. So Hillel comes to him, and Hillel says, effectively, a very similar idea to Shammai. Shammai comes and says, listen, Dachilak, you can't come like this. Hillel says, no. The Allah Sani, that which you hate, don't do to anybody else. All the commentaries jump on Hillel. If he meant love your friend like yourself, what should Hillel have said? He should have said, you know what the main principle in Torah is? Love your neighbor like yourself. Well, he doesn't say that. He doesn't say the positive, love. He says, that which you hate, don't do to somebody else. <laughs> Right? Imagine you see a mother. A mother's trying to raise her children. The mother says, listen kids, if there's one thing I could ask of you, right? Don't do something that you hate to your brother. That's not what a mother says. A mother says, love your brother. A mother says, you guys should be like blood is thicker than water. You have to always be by each other's side. You guys come first. Family first. That's not what Hillel is saying. Hillel is saying some sort of you know, anemic law. If you hate it, don't do it to someone else. So the altar asks, why did Hillel present it in this way? And he says something magnificent. He says, could we be real for one second? It's beautiful to say beautiful things. You ever read these quotes, you know, online? You know, very inspirational quotes. It's not the power that makes the man. It's the man that makes the power. You ever see those lines? They basically just took something and flipped it, and then it's like, oh, wow, now that, now this, it is the man that makes the power. I never thought of it that way. You understand that? You see this all the time, okay? So I, I, I want to, I wanna, it sounds nice. Love your friend. Love everybody like you love yourself. Hillel says, yeah, but you're forgetting one thing. The Torah is actually real. It's not an Instagram account with fancy quotes with pictures of the sunset. We're not telling you things for our health. We're asking of you something that you could do. You know, the rabbi says, 
And he says it so beautifully. He says, you know, you have some people, they love humanity. Oh, humanity, but they hate humans. You ever meet these people? People who, uh, what's it called? Nada, they talk about the Jewish people, Am Yisrael, Chai, Israel, they hate Jews. <laughs> you know, they're always talking about Achdut, but the guy who's talking about Achdut, you know, you ever see? It's crazy what these people are doing. It's, we should be together. We should be Achdut. These guys, they're only dividing the people. These people, they're horrible. It's amazing. You find people, you catch people out like this. You know? And the truth is, human beings are complex that way. You can love somebody and hate them at the same time. Loving someone unilaterally, monolithically, if you're loving someone completely, so to speak, in most scenarios, that's not human. That's idealistic. It's utopian. You know, we can say it, but then it's just words. The rabbi gives an example. There was a story in the news a while back about a police sergeant. The sergeant drove into uh, what's it called? He drove into his uh, into uh, into his into his home. He pulled out a gun and he shot his wife in the head. He gets into his patrol car. He drives five blocks away from the house and then he shoots himself in the head. The rabbi explained it so beautifully. He said, he shot his wife because he hated her. He shot his wife because he hated her. And then he shot himself because he loved her. Now that sounds insane. But the truth is, for those of us who understand the way humans work, it's not actually insane at all. To a large degree, it's what all of us are. You know? Tell me who, who you want to kill more than your kids. And tell me who you love more than your kids. Yeah? Does family not get you more angry than anybody else? They do. But does family not the source and the power and the passion in your life? Of course it is. That is how this thing works. The things that we're most passionate about, that we love the most, have the propensity within them to draw out within us a sense of animosity, a sense of anger, because, because we expect that much more from them, because we want so much more. You have this sergeant who loved his wife more than anything, but maybe she didn't love him as much as he loved her, and he hated her for the fact that she didn't love him because he loved her so much. That doesn't sound so crazy, does it? It, it, it sounds crazy that he would kill her, it sounds crazy to kill himself, but the actual logic behind it is not all that nuts. Because you and I are the same. You know, you don't get worked up about your neighbor's kids and if they fail or don't fail or come home late or don't come home late or dress like this or don't dress like this or date that guy or don't date that. You're not interested. It's not your kid. So the same way they give you no love, they give you no pride, they give you, they don't fill your heart up. They also, they also don't break your heart. So Hillel says, Torah is real. I'm going to ask you 
for a way that you should interact or see your neighbor, I'm not going to tell you to love them as much as you love you. That sounds beautiful, but it only sounds beautiful. It ain't real. This is real. You know, one of the most shocking things I ever realized when I was studying and teaching Judaism, both when I was studying it for myself and also when I taught other people, the most shocking, surprising thing. And you know what that is? That the Torah is not joking around. Like it's not a nice thing. It's not a nice book. It's not quotes. It's not jokes. What the Torah is asking, God was being real with us. All of it. It's all real. Now again, that sounds like a great, obviously Rabbi, what are you talking about? Yeah, it's easy to say that to me. But how many of us treat every mitzvah like it's real? Like when the Torah says that this is a chiyuv mitah, that this carries a death penalty, how many of us, never mind whether we'll get the death penalty, I'm not trying to teach you out of fear. I'm trying to just ask you, how many of us look at this and say, oh my gosh, I would never do that. Just like you would never step off the roof of your building because that would kill you. Why would you. Why would you be casual about when Shabbat starts? It's a death penalty if you get it wrong. Because the Torah is not real. And the roof, the roof is real. Do you hear that? There's something really powerful that happens when we have Torah inside of us. When we take the moral compass and we're not looking at it, you know how sometimes you have a compass and it tells you that way is north and what do you do? You're like, no. You start hitting the compass. Anyone ever do that? You have your phone. The phone shows you which way is west. You're like, no, no, okay. Let me turn the phone around in my hand. I always love that. Turn the phone around in your hand. Right? The phone is getting its GPS placement from a satellite out in space. <laughs> but it's going to matter if you turn the phone this way or that way. Either way, west is going to be there. North is going to be, you understand? But it's, it's so powerful, the power of our preconceived notions, that I'm going to sit there, no, no, I'm going to turn the phone around. It's getting you from a satellite. The, in, the way you're turning it this way is irrelevant. It's where you're standing. Directions are absolute. The Torah's directions are absolute. Now, because this is true, we find this idea in many places, by the way. This idea that we love something, but we hate it. We want to do something, but we don't. I used to call that hashtag sorry, not sorry. Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur. I'm still going to do it. You know why? Because I want to. Are you sad? Are you embarrassed? Do you feel guilty that you're doing Averot? Yes, you do. Still going to do it. Let's be real for a minute. Still going to do it. Why? Because. Because I can love it and hate it at the same time. Because that's the complexity of the nature of human beings. So the Vilna Gaon used to teach. The nature of Torah. God gave the Torah. What was the purpose of Torah? And this is a fascinating thing to think. What did God intend when he gave us the Torah? The Vilna Gaon writes that the purpose of life is to be constantly engaged 
in breaking your character traits. That's what he writes. And this, listen to this phrase. If he doesn't do this, then of what use is his life? What? What? That's, that's the purpose of life. The purpose of life is to break your character traits, is to work on your midot? Yes. Yes, it is. That is the nature, the plan. That's why God created this world. There are animals that have no choice. There's angels that have no choice. Animals that are driven by their natural instincts. Um, what's it called? Uh, angels that are driven by their spiritual instincts. And I want you to imagine, we are combination angel and animal. So the animal is pure goof, pure body. The malach is pure soul, just a spiritual being. Humanity is this connector between heaven and earth that has both sides pulling on him all the time, trying to convince him each side, one side to go up, one side to go down. That is the nature of a human being. So therefore, when God created the world, did he create the world for an animal? No, he did not. That's why we're allowed to eat animals, by the way. He did not create the world for an animal. You know why? Because if the animal's nature is what guides it, that means that the animal and its choices are irrelevant. And do you know why? Because the choices are automatically set for the animal. God did not create the world or the universe for the angels because the angels' choices are automatic, guided by the fact that they are pure soul. So one is pure instinct, pure desire, pure temptation, pure uh, food and uh, intimacy. And that's what the animal's thinking about all day long. What's the, uh, the malach thinking about all day? Kadosh, kadosh, kadosh. And the human being is what happens when God makes a duck-billed platypus. Slaps them together. It's not just in Phineas and Ferb. So the point is, ladies and gentlemen, the point of creation was us. Why? Because we can choose. We are the point, the pinnacle of creation. And you know when you're actualizing, when you're making or holding up yourself as a human being, you know when you're doing it? When you're actively choosing. Fascinating. So I want to share with you how this idea, again, let's just take this logical thread and just pull, pull it in a bit. That means that I am being human I'm being the purpose of creation. I'm fulfilling my purpose in creation. I'm giving God the greatest joy in the world when I'm doing what? When I'm choosing. When I'm choosing. When I'm choosing. When I'm struggling with a choice. A choice between my soul and my body. Right in between those two things. Right here, that space. In that space. In that free will choice. That's when I'm actualizing my human self. That's all about breaking midot. You know why? Because the things you do naturally. If you're naturally kind, God bless you. But you were born that way. You're like an animal. Or like an angel. Whichever way you want to say it. You ain't like a human on those things. Rav Desler writes about this. He calls it the nikudat habichira, the point of choice. So as an example, you and I, we would never run up to a, uh, what's it called, uh, a child going to nursery, punch him in the face and take his lunch. I don't know, would you do that? 
Probably not. I hope not. If you are, get out of here. <laughs> you animal. <laughs> right? You never do that. So do you think you're walking down the street, you see a kid with his lunch, smells good, you didn't punch him in the face, steal his lunch. You think you got rewarded for that from Hashem? You think that was a moment of choice? It wasn't. Because I've already passed that point. That's automatic. So where am I choosing? And this thing, it moves. It's not a static thing. Many of us will have experienced it. Moments in life where we're here. Moments in life when we're here. Moments in life where we we don't even want anyone to see us. The, the things that we're doing. Okay? The choices that we're making. That's called Nikudata Bechira. In that moment, says the Vilna Gaon, that is the purpose of Torah. That is the purpose of existence. Now, let's kind of flesh this out a little bit. Okay? I want to talk a little bit about what this looks like. The, uh, the actualization of free will, of choice. When a person is kind of reaching a little bit out of their comfort zone. And doing something that they didn't really quite think that they could do. It was obvious to you, you didn't make the choice. If it was obvious to you, that's not your struggle. That's not your point of free will. Listen to this. Rabbi meets a, uh, a young boy. He's got a cast on his whole leg. He calls him over. He says, listen, dude, <laughs> what happened? You know, there's nothing cooler, by the way. When you're a kid in school... There's nothing cooler than like breaking your arm. It's like a very funny time in your life, right? Like, you know, if everyone could sign your cast, you're like very sharp, you know? <laughs> I don't know why these things are amazing. But if you got one of those casts that you couldn't write on, you were just like a loser. Like, you broke your arm and no one could sign your cast? Get out of here, okay? So the guy breaks his leg. Rabbi comes up to him, he says, look, what's going on here? <laughs> How'd you break your leg? Guy says, I'll tell you. I got into a fight with my mom and my parents. I was so mad. I walked up to the brick wall. I kicked the brick wall. Broke my leg. Rabbi says to the kid, so did you learn anything? You learn anything from, from the story? And the kid thinks for a minute and he says, yeah, I, uh, I learned not to kick brick walls. Rabbi says, that's what you, I mean, that is something to learn. Hazaku <laughs> Baruch on that. If that's all that you learn, though, I don't think you smacked your foot into the brick wall. It's your head that you hit. That's the lesson. The Yetzirah loves to take us through stories where we've been taught a lesson. We, they made a mistake and we suffered the consequence. And then what does the Yetzirah do with the consequence? He neuters it. He robs it of its power to teach us a good lesson. So as an example, you have a guy, he goes out with a non-Jewish girl, he's a religious guy, but he sees a beautiful girl, he goes out with this non-Jewish girl, her name is Christina, okay? Anyway, she breaks his heart, he leaves, the father says, listen, you know, what have you learned? He says, I, you know, I've learned not to go out with girls called Christina. That's what you learned so if it's another non-Jewish girl whose name is Mary, who comes, you know, who not like you, doesn't have the same values as you, grew up in a very different way, is very happy kind of being very casual with different people, let's leave that as it is. Now you're happy because her name is not Christina. <laughs> Come on! But the Yetzirah is masterful at helping us not see the lessons that our life is giving us fresh on a platter.
So it's our job not only to learn the minimal lessons that life teaches us and to fix the things in our lives which are harming us. When as an example, let's say a person is, has a bit of an anger issue. He's dating a girl who really loves her. She says something, he flies off the handle. She says, forget about it. I see this guy, he's got a tempo. Why do I want that for a husband? She runs a thousand miles away. What is the guy supposed to learn now? So there are some that say, I learn, I learn not to put myself in, not to lose my temper. But actually, the lesson is much deeper than don't kick a brick wall. The lesson is, don't lose control. The lesson is, if someone says something to you, talk about it, analyze it. Maybe allow them to say what they say and say to them, look, I disagree and I respectfully disagree. And here's why. You wouldn't have a broken leg. If you don't kick brick walls, you might kick a stone wall or a wood wall or punch something else that's really hard in the face. I remember as a teenager once, I got really mad. So I thought, uh, like, obvious, I, I punched something that I thought would clearly not do any damage. I almost broke my hand. I punched a, a, a bottle. I had a, bo a water bottle uh, full of ice. So I thought, you know, I'll punch it, uh, it wasn't out of anger, it was, you know, teenage boy, you know, punch, you see something, you punch it, I thought I would break it. Meanwhile, punching something which is solid ice, what's going to happen? It's like hitting a brick wall. The, the irony was that after I almost broke my fist and it started blowing up, I just held that bottle <laughs> to my hand, all right? So it was the, it was the medicine and it was the, uh, it was the problem and it was the cure. So it is our job when we're going through life to be able to pick out these flag posts, these guide posts, if you will, that teach, that teach us things. Moshe Rabbeinu has a very interesting conversation in the heavens. He gets to heaven, he wants to take the Torah, and the angels say, no, we don't want to give it to you. And they turn to God and they say, Leave your glory, this magnificent thing called the Torah, it's so deep, it's so holy, so spiritual, Kabbalistic, names of God. You know, you could learn it your whole life, you still haven't scratched the surface. It's the wisdom of God. You're going to give it to people? People you're going to give it to? Leave it up here, up in Shammai. God says to Moshe, answers them. Moshe says, Klum The Torah says, don't be jealous. Are any of you jealous? Oh, do any of you steal? Torah says don't steal. You guys want to steal? You know, have you been to Egypt? Do you have a father or mother that you have to honor? Now, it sounds to me like a funny argument. They're saying the Torah is magnificent. It's beautiful. It's spiritual. It's this. Human beings are not going to appreciate it. You know what it's like? The Malachim was saying. It's like buying your one-year-old son. Br amazing. Birthday. First birthday, you're so happy. First child, you come home, gift wrap, you buy him a brand new iPhone 12. <laughs> right? What's the kid going to do with an iPhone 12? So he takes the thing out. It's shiny. He licks it. He tries to gum at it for like 20 minutes. You know what? Your wife says, actually, it's not, it's not a bad present. Look, he's enjoying it. Yeah, but you didn't need an iPhone 12. Get him a pacifier for $2.99. He doesn't need something that has a camera, that has a, 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 a you know, a, a, a graphics card, that has great speakers, that has, you know, an amazing Gorilla Glass front cover. He doesn't need that. It's like, what's the kid doing? He's like smacking flies with it. 
you know, he could do that with the box. He doesn't need, he doesn't, what the Malachim was saying is, we know that human beings do mitzvot, we're not stupid. What we're saying is there's a whole part here of Torah that's so spiritual. Do you and I know what happens in the higher worlds when we do, do mitzvot? When we say Kaddish or Kedushah, Amen, when we help somebody, when we do an act of chesed, kibudah ve'en, you know what, what's going on in the heavens? When we talk about mitzvot that cause, you know, ripple effects across the whole world, is that what you see when you're doing a mitzvah? You see something very functional, very simple, very straightforward. I saw an old lady, I helped across the street. Simple. That's true. So what the angels were saying is, you're getting the bottom, the lowest common denominator of Torah. We are getting all the names. Yeah, we can't do the bottom, but we can do the top. You can't do the top. And yet, and yet, says the altar, who won the argument? Moshe said, do you guys get jealous? That means that the primary purpose of the Torah was to work on eradicating jealousy from human beings. Eradicate the feeling, the need, the desire to take something that belongs to you. That's what Torah is there for. And that's why Moshe wins. The most important thing about being a Jew is to develop yourself, to develop your character. To seek out, before you break your leg, what are the things that I have in my nature that are going to get my leg broken? What things get me in trouble? Which feelings are the ones that work me up so that I wind up saying or doing things that I later regret? Before, I don't have to do it in a place where I'm hurting, when I'm hurting, beforehand. It's very easy. We know ourselves pretty well, don't we? So what's the challenge here? How come we're not doing this? Why are we not? I mean, all of us. Would you like to not lose your temper? I would. You? Also, probably, yeah. Would you like to constantly be seeing only the positive in other people? I would. You? Yeah? We say, Paige? Think so? Yeah? Would you like to be someone who's always generous, always helping other people? I probably. Would you like to be the best husband, you know, or the best father? I guess so. So, so why aren't we? Let's get real. Why aren't we? It's something that you want. Why don't you have it? It reminds me of a great story. Two guys go to work. One guy opens his lunch. He goes, ah! Other guy looks at him and he looks at his mind. He goes, what's the matter with you? He goes, peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Again! The guy says, what's the problem? Peter, what's wrong with peanut butter and jelly? PB&J, it's great. He goes, you know what I had on Sunday for lunch? Peanut butter and jelly. You know what I had on Monday? Peanut butter and jelly. Tuesday, PB&J. Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Sunday, Monday. One month every day. You know what I have for lunch every day? Peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Guy says to his friend, calm down. Why don't you just tell your wife to make you a tuna fish sandwich instead? And the guy says, my wife, I make my own lunch. Dib. <laughs> But when we're no different than PB and J, man. Because there's a lot of things that we want for us, for ourselves, in our lives. We want them. And we make our own lunch. 
And we keep making the same lunch. The lunch that we don't like. Why, why are we making these mistakes again and again and again and again and again and again and again? Why are we doing that? And the answer is incredibly powerful. The Hebrew word for midot, which means character traits, which really guide almost everything that we do, if you think about it. All of us, all of us are like this. Our character traits drive what we do, how we do, okay? It's actually amazing. After studying people for a very long time, sometimes people will come to me with a fight between the family and I'll talk to them about it, whatever the case might be, and a lot of times I could say, oh, and then they said this, and then you said that. But then they said, or they felt, after you work out a person's core character traits, they're so bloom predictable. It's, it's like sad. It's like there's such a cliche. Everything they say, everything they're going to do. You know why? Because it's so much easier to just go with the flow. So if I don't fight against my core character traits, nine times out of ten, what's going to happen? I'm going to wind up doing, with or without thinking, the thing that comes easiest or most natural to my personality. So the crazy thing is, if we find ourselves either living a difficult life or living a great life, but whose life can't be better? Whose life, who, who doesn't want their life to be better? You know, and I, I hear this all the time. People are like, oh, I'm so blessed. I wouldn't change a thing. Yeah, but dude, <laughs> let's be real. You came to me last week talking about how you have Shalom Bayi issues. So I know you wouldn't change your family situation or your house or your job. I know you like that. I know you like your community, but like the most elemental thing, Love, you don't have. So I wouldn't change a thing. Say, Baruch Hashem, made me the man I am today. Yeah, if you had a happier wife, you'd be the man you are today, plus 30 happy points. Like, what are you talking about? Everybody has a place to grow, place to move in their life, uh, a, a way to better the situation that they are in. So what do we need to do? And the answer is very, very powerful. The word in Hebrew for midot, that we are saying guide everything, it means midah. Midah means a measurement. Um, I always like when I'm giving the class, if I'm making a flyer for the class, to give a hint in the flyer for what the class is going to be about. And today's flyer, I don't know if you saw it, is a DJ with a mixer board, and he's just got those sliding, you know, are you going to up the bass, treble, what do you want? Yeah, right, left, front, back. How are you going to balance the music? Mida means measurements. How much? There isn't a character trait our rabbis teach us that is negative, that is bad in and of itself. The question is an application. The question is not, should I or shouldn't I have X? It's, when should I have X? So, as an example, and I'm leaving Rambam with anger and anava out of this for, for the time being. But let's talk about this. Is there ever a time where a person's supposed to be angry? Anger is a terrible thing. Terrible. But my favorite phrase is, show me a man who doesn't get angry about anything, and I'll show you a man who doesn't love anything. If you never got angry, then when someone picked on your kid, 
there was some sort of flaw in your love for your child that it didn't bother you that someone was bullying your son or your daughter. So the question is not if we get angry, it's when and it's how much. You know, Rabbi gives an example. There's a kid that comes to him, his parents drag the kid to the rabbi and the kid has an anger issue. So they say to the rabbi, maybe you could talk to him. The rabbi says, look, eight years old. He says, what's your favorite thing in the world? He says, I love trains. Okay, trains. He goes, you know, today our modern trains work very differently than the ones that used to. The kid says, I know, I know. I have uh, the model trains in the basement, da 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 you know. He goes, I know, I know, there was steam trains. The rabbi says, you know how the steam trains used to work? The kid says, no, I see the steam coming out, right? He says, well, let me tell you. There's a boiler, okay? Water is boiled in the boiler, that creates an incredible amount of pressure within the boiler, okay? The pressure of that steam is then used to move the pistons, to move the, the, uh, the inner workings of the train, and steam, water, and steam were capable enough to move a train of hundreds of thousands of tons. Steam. Crazy, right? But the rabbi says to the child, he says, but you know what happened? If the walls of the boiler, where they were making the steam, maybe they weren't thick enough. If the, it wasn't screwed in tight enough. Google, when we're done this class, water boiler exploding. It's like a bomb. When a water boiler explodes, an industrial one, it can tear through a whole building, shoot out the roof. Yeah? It's unbelievable. Could flatten the whole house. So anger, he said, is like steam. When it's contained, when it's managed, when the walls around it that you have around are capable of keeping it in and directing it to only the place it's supposed to go, it can be an incredible driving force. Think about the anger in our world that guides people to do crazy things. It guides people to commit, commit suicide bombings. That anger that they have and the anger that's stoked by extremism. It'll take a guy, he's willing to sacrifice his whole family. Don't care, no problem. Why? Anger. Anger moves people. But if the walls aren't thick enough and if the bolts aren't tight enough, and if the pipes aren't capable of handling the pressure, it, it kills the person. Such is the nature of midot. And such is the requirement as well of each and every human being to have a self-awareness and understand in themselves what kind of person am I when I get angry? And therefore, when can I allow myself to be angry? Do I start spraying everyone with bullets? Probably I shouldn't get angry then. Do I start tearing down the people that I love because I got, probably I shouldn't get angry then. If a person can contain uh, that anger, that passion, it can do wondrous things. When you get angry as an example, that someone hurt your family, wh what does that do? You take it to the Supreme Court. 
You know, you, you ensure that there's the best security for the school systems from the anger of being exposed from that pain when it's channeled correctly. It, it can be very productive. So it's the job of every person to try and see inside themselves and recognize how these midot, how they act out. So I want to kind of, we're not going to have time to finish everything today because I, I want to keep it till, to, to, uh, to the hour that, we, that, we do, that we're doing. But we're going to talk a little bit more about, about the development of anger into jealousy and understanding a little bit more of that uh, as we go. But I want, to, I want to talk for one minute still about the honesty and the realism that we need in order to be able to see ourselves as we are and not as we wish we would be. The uh, <clears throat> the 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 Alta continues and he says something magnificent. He says, you know, when a person is trying their very hardest to live their best life, then they are capable of actually calling out a part in themselves, recognizing it for what it is, and honestly labeling it as positive or negative. But quite often, uh, in, in in most people's experience, they actually don't do that. So I want to share this with all of you. What that means is something very comforting, but also um, very sobering. For you and me, most of what we need in order to perfect ourselves in our lives, it's not outside. It's not in a book. It's inside of you already. Now, you might need a lot of learning to help you see clearly inside yourself what's a negative, what's a positive. How do I do that in a better way? But the raw materials that you need to be unbelievable, to be great, you don't need to go out to buy them. You don't need to go to Madison Avenue. You don't need Amazon to deliver them. They're already inside of you. God made you with those things that you need in order to succeed in your life. They're there already. So I just want to kind of wrap this up with one, uh, one simple idea. And we'll continue next week with the idea of conquering jealousy which is a primary issue of our time. He said as follows. He says, <clears throat> you have people that unfortunately they get angry and they get worked up. But generally, it's not who they are. He tells a story about his dad. Every year on Memorial Day, there was a, a parade that would go down uh, uh, Rockaway uh, Avenue, Boulevard, whichever. And they would have the marching bands and they would have all the people would come out and they would invite uh, the rabbi and the, the priest and the rabbi would say a prayer, etc., etc. So it, one year, his father says, you want to come with me? Guys, kid says, sure, no problem. The rabbi is writing this uh, book. He goes with his dad, and as he's walking with his dad, unbelievable. He's walking with his dad down the street, and he says, Dad, maybe we should hurry up. You know, it, you're late for the parade. Father says, I know. I want to be late. Kid thinks, this is not my dad. My dad is always a stickler for time. He's always exactly on time. He says, why do you want, why do you want to be late, dad? He said, because last time I came, I got there on time. I sat on the podium and they called up the priest first. And the priest got up and he said a whole prayer. And he invoked the name of Jesus and whatever. And he says, and Mary and the Holy Ghost, etc. And he said, and, and the whole place, a thousand people are all standing for the prayer. He says, but as a Jew, I'm not allowed to stand for a prayer that's Avodah from another religion. He says, so I sat there, the only person, a thousand people, I sat there in my chair. He says, I was embarrassed. I didn't know, you know, where to put myself. All the eyes are on me, but it wasn't the right. 
So he says, Dad, don't you think, you know, maybe people would be upset. Father looks at his son. He says, what are you talking about? I'd stand up. And the reason why I share this is because a lot of times in the human experience, we actually pretend to ourselves. So as an example, you know what I'm doing now? I'm not being lax with my own priorities and goals. I'm being strict with Kiddush Hashem. It's fascinating this. Where if someone is not religious, you find all the wonderful things about him. Oh, he's such a, so kind, so nice. He doesn't do all the other mitzvot, but you don't look at that. You look at the fact that he gave a check to the shul. Wow, what a sadiq. Meanwhile, when you apply the same judgment stick to people from your own community, you find everything else that they did wrong. Why for this guy are you judging one way and this guy are you judging another way? There's a reality that people need to be able to see in themselves when they're being honest and genuine and when they're not. When, as an example, oh, I have to teach my son a lesson. My kid needs to learn. Meanwhile, your kid doesn't need to learn. You're just angry. You're an angry person. You're not teaching him any lessons when you lose your temper. You know why? The last lesson he learns is when you, you see that. But that reality is something which is so important because it differentiates between us keeping and letting God's Torah guide us versus us having our very own Torah that we make up, that we decide when it applies. And I'll leave you with this one. There's a rabbi who's running a yeshiva. And they find one boy who's in the yeshiva. Not only is he making trouble, not only is that all these problems, they find in his, what's it called, in his bag, the kid is selling drugs in the yeshiva. They go to the rabbi, they tell him, this kid's selling drugs in the yeshiva. God's thrown out. The rabbi comes, he looks at it, he checks it out, this, that, the other, and he decides, throw the kid out. Of course, he gets 10 phone calls, rabbi, don't you know, the kid, his parents got divorced, his adopted, foster, God knows, that, terrible stories, by the way, Hazi, we feel terrible for the kid, so much Rachmanut, so much mercy we have for him, we feel so bad, it's not his fault, and it's not, he's selling drugs to other boys in the school, so, you would like for the thing to be sweet and kind and nice and accepting. And that is our world today. That is our world. Our world says that up until nine months pass by, until you give birth to the baby, you could decide if you want to abort it. No problem. You can kill it. it wasn't born yet. Nine months. You could decide you want to abort your child. No problem. Nine months you had it, you could still decide. You can't return a dress to a store after two weeks. But eight and a half months in, you could kill your baby. <laughs> no, no, it's very important. The woman, she should have her choice. I understand. But her choice is the kid's life. Why did you decide to be strict on that and not on that? You're going to keep the kid in the school because we feel so bad for him. And you know what? It's your job as the rabbi of the school to figure out something for the kid for his future. 100%. But to keep him here when you know he's going to carry on ruining the other boys, actively ruining the other boys, is that anger? Or is that the right thing? Are you being kind and, and accepting and non-judgmental? 
Are you being a dib and you just want to be loved by everybody? So the political correctness actually takes over your definitions for truth. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the journey. This is the job. May God bless us to be honest, open with ourselves and to become the very best people that we could be. We're going to carry on next week learning about